Cup of tea tales. Drugs, sex and rock and roll. The changing face of youth culture from the 1950s to the 1970s and how it affected a local Leeds boy. At first sight, this seems a rather tall order to cover such a subject in 2,000 words, but maybe I can give you my personal views, and I hope they cause you a moment or two to consider how you feel and whether or not you agree. Being born in the decade after the end of the Second World War put me in a position to witness a period of great social, technological, environmental and cultural change. My wife doesn't agree with me, but the start of the 1960s saw a change from a black-and-white monochrome world to one of colour. For most of my time at primary school, the world appeared both physically and emotionally grey. It is true that the major buildings in Leeds were black from the atmospheric soot. Television, when it came, was again in black and white, and even the cinema used to show black-and-white films at the Saturday matinee. After the war, the returning soldiers were not going to fit easily back into society as they had experienced too much and they wanted to improve their lots in life. They wanted to live in decent houses, wear decent clothes and have all the mod cons that were on offer. Women had similarly experienced change. They had to do all the tasks that the men away at war had done before. They learned that they were equally capable of driving trucks, working and also managing a home. There was no way that they were just going to allow men to dominate as they had. My mother told me of cycling trips into the countryside where she met Italian prisoners of war who were allowed out to cycle the countryside. These encounters and the influence of the American servicemen opened her and other women's eyes to a different way of living. They heard American music learnt American dances and experienced American affluence, and they liked it. Some returned soldiers discovered that the British Isles that they'd left had transformed and the old order was changing. The music from the USA was wild, exciting, and teenagers loved the fact that their parents hated it. This hasn't changed over the time since, and there have been music fads and genres that have risen in popularity, aided by the fact that the older generation doesn't get it, doesn't like it and won't listen to it. After the war, there was comfort, music for the establishment. Andy Williams, Bing Crosby, Joseph Locke, Jim Reeves, the crooners. But there was also more dangerous music. Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. Where their rebel lifestyles matched with great voices, made them stars that the young could like. But it was still adult music. In the 1950s, music was brought to the UK audience through acts like Bill Haley and the Comets, and then Elvis Presley, Buddy Holly and the Crickets. They hit world fame like a hurricane. The establishment hated them, wanted them banned for subverting the young, and refused to film Elvis from the waist down due to his gyrating hip movements. Rock Around the Clock, Heartbreak Hotel and Jailhouse Rock, the world would never be the same. The UK saw America as wild, exciting and the place to be and aspire to go to. It was wealthy and a leader of everything after the war. The UK musicians either tried to emulate their US counterparts or they lost popularity. There was a short period of skiffle music with Lonnie Donegan and other bands. Television in the late 1950s and early 60s was stayed 
with variety shows and family entertainment. It appeared to cater for children and adults and missed out the growing number of teenagers. British versions of the US stars appeared, Cliff Richard, Adam Faith, The Shadows and Tommy Steele, but it was the US stars such as Roy Orbison, Chuck Berry, Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis that really captured the youth of the time. They were wild, violent, sexually dangerous and everything that the parents of teenagers hated. Is it a man or a woman? was a common comment from a father as they watched some of the performers when they appeared on television. Of course, it was in the early 1960s that British music changed dramatically with the Beatles. They suddenly became the biggest band on the planet and were the inspiration for so many bands at the time and afterwards. Probably the biggest difference from other bands was that they started to write their own music and pushed the boundaries of the sounds that were current. By the summer of 1967, there was the summer of love and the birth of the hippie movement. This was an even more dramatic challenge to the culture of adult America and saw the drug influence, free sex and alternative communes lifestyle appear. It spoke of peace, anti-war and creativity, but it spawned some dreadful cults, such as that of Charles Manson. It was at this time that songs from California became popular and the Beatles produced music that was experimental and drug-related. Sgt Pepper's became one of the most influential albums of all time, and bands such as the Rolling Stones, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, The Doors, The Who, and a host of others started experimenting, and progressive rock, hard rock, and heavy metal suddenly became the art of choice for students, and universities and colleges became the major venues for band concerts. My first interest was led by my older brother Andrew, who bought flowered shirts with accompanying bells in the late 1960s. He listened to and bought The Piper of the Gates of Dawn, Sgt Pepper's The White Album, Sourceful of Secrets and many others. Many of these I borrowed and took to parties to impress friends and irretrievably damaged the albums. Shortly afterwards I started buying my own albums and Umma Gummer, The Who Sell Out and The Small Faces, Ogden's Not Gone joined my collection. Then our circle of friends, led by Peter, started learning to play guitar and the nucleus of a band was formed. The first song that I remember as playing was an unusual hit in the UK. It was called Neanderthal Man by Hotlegs, who were later to become 10cc. It was incredibly simple and we made a pretty ordinary version. The lineup of players altered and Peter, John and I became the nucleus, but others came and went over the years. Because we were captured by an interest in the hippie culture rather than the mod rockers and greasers and pop trends, we started writing. Originally it was acoustic music, but bit by bit, when finances allowed, we became an electric band. Having limited guitar skills, I took over bass guitar duties, as no one else wanted to. Being in a band gave you kudos, and there were many high school bands around. Being the youngest member of the band, I was happy to follow the lead of the others, and I took to the social side with gusto. Teenagers at this time drank a lot, smoked a lot, and many indulged in the drug culture that was being fostered by big-named bands, cinema and television. Many artists promoted a drug culture and Timothy Leary's advocacy for LSD led to the Moody Blues writing a song about him 
Yellow Submarine, I Am the Walrus, and Magical Mystery Tour by the Beatles fostered this way of life, and films such as Easy Rider, Woodstock, Performance with Mick Jagger, and many others made teenagers aware of hallucinogenic trips. Crosby, Stills and Nash and bands from the USA similarly promoted drug-taking. At Roundy School in the late 60s, I became aware that older boys were using drugs other than alcohol. There were rumours some were using hard drugs such as heroin, but that seemed to be a suicide journey to me, and the one or two known addicts that hung around Oakwood, Moortown and Hare Hills did little to make anyone want to follow in their wake. It did appear that softer drugs such as hash were less harmful, and they started to appear at parties. Wacky-backy could be smelt at many gatherings, and even more common at rock concerts at Leeds University or the Poly. The issue was knowing where to buy such things, but playing in a band with a large circle of acquaintances, eventually people appeared who could provide a supply. In many cases, people were conned and oxo cubes were passed off as drugs. But like many teenagers, we experimented. Some of my friends didn't smoke, and so hash wasn't high on their lists. But LSD became the drug of choice for some. Long-lasting, easily come by, and seemingly an aid to creativity. It didn't take long for it to become common, to see hazed-out trippers, and eventually I was offered the opportunity. I was given half a tab prior to getting on a bus at Oakwood and going to a friend's house. At first, it had no effect, but then it became a bit of a nightmare. Daylight was brighter, I became disorientated and could have wandered off if I were on my own. We started to over-talk, my senses became confused and overloaded, and I remember sweating a lot. Half a tab lasted about four hours, and it was frightening. I realised afterwards that it was not for me. I didn't like the lack of self-control. There was nothing particularly enjoyable, and afterwards there was a real feeling of coming down. A few drinks were pleasant, but this was not. Clearly others saw it differently and continued. In one or two cases, they became regular users and bit by bit they changed. They appeared to be a dullness about them, and it wasn't good to see. Now, I'm aware of the potential damage to mental health, particularly in teenagers, and I'm glad I avoided that pitfall. I can give one good example of the fact that it didn't stimulate creativity or help musicians, It's true that when under the influence you may think you're insightful, witty, clever and creative, but in truth you couldn't be further from it. At the time there was a band called Family and they had a few hits, No Mules Fool, The Weaver's Answer, and in early 1970s Burlesque and My Friend The Sun. I saw them twice in concert and the first time was at Leeds University. They were brilliant and one of the best live performances I'd seen. The second time was also at Leeds Uni, I think. And they were clearly not with it. They were all over the place. The music didn't hold together, the performances were not up to scratch, and they were either drunk, stoned, or probably both. I was really disappointed. The tight band of musicians had become a shambles and were not worth seeing. The late 1960s and 1970s saw the development of a wide range of musical styles. There was a coming together of relative affluence, technical ability and equipment and opportunities to play and watch music at the college and university circuits. There were new, fresh, challenging times of social upheaval that produced an environment where the younger generation had strong opinions. 
youth found their voice and forced the world to listen. It was the birth of female emancipation. The pill, cheap fashion, free higher education, student grants, moving away from home to experience life away from our parents, overseas holidays and opportunities that might well have made our parents envious. It was a time when we had never heard of AIDS, pandemics, global warmings and other portents of doom, when we and the world were improving. Education was seen as something to broaden the mind, not just a means of getting a job, and where we listened to other points of view and then argued our own without shouting others down, drinking wine into the small hours and feeling grown up. I guess we were the lucky ones, but now the ills of the world are being laid at our doorstep and the generation of baby boomers who saw a brave new world are taking the blame for the current sick one. Probably it was ever so, and will probably continue to be so for each new generation. If you enjoy my stories, then you might like to know that there are two books available, The Cup of Tea Tales, The Early Years, and Another Cup of Tea, The Teenage Years, are available on Amazon and also on Kindle. 